0: Romumu.org For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs please visit jcastnetwork.org As we turn from an open heart to an open mind now to learn Torah this morning of course the Torah the word Torah means teaching and it's cognate with the word Horeh which means parent and the Torah in some sense is a book of good advice that our ancients bequeathed to us, left for us. The Aramaic of the word Torah, the Aramaic usage of the word Torah, for Torah, is oraitah. Oraitah, which means light book. Book of light. So this morning we're looking for light and invite you, if you are holding a chumash, the red Torah, the red Bible, to please turn to page 744 in your Eitzchayim. 744. Chapter 25, Verse thirty nine in the light book in Vayikra, Leviticus. Achicha Imach. If your brother, your kinsman, becomes destitute, Vinim Karlach and will be sold to you. Do not subject that brother to the treatment of a slave. Like a worker, a hired worker, that one will work for you until the Jubilee year, until the 50th year in a Cycle of seven times seven years and a 50th year called the Jubilee year. And then in that Jubilee year, like all slaves in the ancient Israelite institution of Jubilee, slaves will be freed in the 50th year. All land will return to its owner and all humans return to their original place. The Torah says in verse 42, Ki avadai heim. They are my servants," says God. "I took them out of the land of constriction, the land of narrowness, the land of slavery and bondage, Lo mimkeret and therefore they will never ever be sold again into mimkeret aved, into slavery. And then, verse forty-three: Lo Do not subject them. Do not deride them. Do not denigrate them with the kind of work that is known as farech farech work be afraid, be aware of God's presence verse 43 it is true that even though the Israelites left Egypt and even though the institution of slavery was not eradicated in the Bible without a doubt it was there it would take centuries, millennia, for us to finally acknowledge that slavery itself is intrinsically unholy. But there was a structure in ancient Israel that if you were destitute and you needed to work for someone in order to get yourself out of bankruptcy, you could say, I will become your servant. And the Torah here prohibits taking advantage of that destitute state. That should a person come to you and, of course, achicha, the word is very strong, your brother, achicha, if that brother of yours is an ach, and they're in dire straits, don't take advantage of their financial situation. There are limits on how you are to work with them. And then the rabbis, let's say, both in the Talmudic period and then in the medieval period, actually define some of these terms. What does it mean, avodat aved, the work of a slave? So Rashi, the great medieval exegete from France, 11th century, says, What is avodat aved, the servitude of a slave? Avodah shel gnai, shenikarba ke'aved. Like, the kind of work that immediately you think, that's not dignified work. So a person comes to you and says, I, Listen, I, I'm destitute. I'm falling hard times. I need to come work for you. Can you give me a job? So it says, Make sure that you don't give them work that signifies that they're a slave. Let it be work that's dignified, work that is elevated, work that is not some kind of degrading work. A work that as soon as you look at it and say, oh, that person must be not a hired hand. That person must be. It's very strong, right? You guys with me on this? Very strong. And, and not only that, it goes on to say that don't work them this word farech. We talked about this this morning in the open book. Anybody who's familiar with Torah knows that the Torah will often use a phrase, a Hebrew phrase, that the reader or the listener will know it from another place and say, oh, I don't really know what that word means, but let me look at what it meant in another place. And intertextually, in a hyperlink, I'll go, oh, it meant it over here in A. It must mean it over here in B. And the only other place in the Torah where the word farech, can you all say that? Farech. Farech. It means a work of farech. The only other place where it's used is in the Egyptian slavery. We, as Israelites, were faracht. So The Bible says here that if you have a person who is destitute, who comes to work for you, make sure you don't Egyptian them. Nothing against Egypt now in modern days, but in the Bible it wasn't a good place for us on any level. And so, don't Egyptian them. Don't do to them what was done to you as slaves. And Rashi, the great medieval exegete, says on the word Farah, what does that mean? He says, he says that means the kind of work that is denigrating to their tzelem Elohim, to their divine image. Malacha shelo the kind of work that has no purpose. Only purpose is to vex him. That The word vex. To make them suffer. And then Rashi goes on to give a couple of examples. Don't say to your worker um heat for me, heat up this cup of drink when you don't really need it. Just like making them suffer. Like, go, oh, can you go get me a cup of coffee and you don't even drink it. It just sits there. You don't need it. And let me think of something that might make you, uh, might annoy you. So what is the, the writ large, what is going on here? Anybody like, let's just, let's open this up and kind of get juicy here, a little Torah study together, okay? What do you think is, is happening here? On, on what level? What, what's, what's the Torah aiming at here? And feel free to, if you don't feel free, hopefully feel free just to say what you think is happening here. And I would love, do unto others as you would, right? So I heard once a Christian pastor say, the golden mean in work is work unto others as if you would have them work unto you. Right? So in in a very beautiful application of this teaching, it would be that in the workplace, a place where power and authority are obviously, and here in this case, a person comes and they're yamuch, they're really low, they're namuch, they've become... They've been lowered from a certain stature. And they come to you in a place of vulnerability. Don't take advantage of that. Do unto them as you would have them do unto you. And this is just a writ large principle in the Torah, the golden mean, or whatever it might be. This is beautiful. So do unto others. Work unto others as you would have them work unto you. Okay, yes. Behind you, Lee. Rashi mentions the image of God. So in a situation where it's so easy, we, we, we're constantly being reminded by the Torah that others are created in the divine image, which is powerful because it means that we, we, we probably forget it quite a bit. If the Torah has to come along and remind us repeatedly, it means that we are wont to forget it. And so here, specifically in this context where there is power and where there's the opportunity to take advantage of someone, the Torah says, don't. Beautiful. In the back, yeah? we've known the condition of slavery and we've been slaves and we mustn't turn into slave masters so we can't become slave masters and so there's a quality here that is again, which is part of the Torah's agenda always, remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, that appears 39 times the Torah, remember, remember, remember Um, and here's another instance of it in a specific case of work which could slide into slavery anyone else want to throw up a hand have a thought, feeling, suggestion right here, yeah we live in a time in where people of power far too often take advantage of people who work for them or are reliant upon them. In recent times, we as a people, the Jewish people have not exactly been exemplars of not doing that, unfortunately. I feel like I'm translating like I'm in the UN, but I'm just repeating what you're saying because you don't have a microphone and I do. So so we have examples all too often of this, of the distortion of this principle. Yeah. Well, we don't have to say names, but people in power who distort. Okay. Yes, absolutely true. Uh, Jeffrey. So one, Jeffrey, Jeffrey's insight here is it's not only to remind us that the other person is made in the image of God, but also to remind us of the, 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 the contingency of the whole structure. It's all contingent. You treat this person this way, not only because he has intrinsic dignity and value, that's absolutely clear, but you recognize in that moment that, you, you know, there but for the grace of God go you. There will be a time where you might be just like this yamuch, this person who was brought low. What was high becomes low, and what was low becomes high, like me too. There, there, there I am. And it's a reminder on a, maybe on a metaphysical level, that we're all one in that way. And that, that this action of, of treating them differently is an action of that bespeaks a kind of confusion. You might call it a kind of metaphysical confusion. Oh, I can treat them differently than I would treat myself. No, but we are together. Right? We are together. You are a reflection of who I might become and therefore back to the golden meme, the golden rule. I want to add one piece of context here. I want to here add a piece, which is if we were to apply... The great theologian Martin Buber's frames to this. Martin Buber, of course, the father of, to some degree, of dialogical theology, where theology is, or God, is found in the dialogue between two persons, like the cherubs on the Ark of the Covenant. Holiness inheres between, not at, but between, in relationship, in the, in the relating, in the perspective. Buber famously said that you can either relate to life as I-it, instrumentally, that I am here and everything is an it, an object of this subject, everything in the world are objects including people, instruments means towards an end, whatever that might be, could be a lofty end. But on some level, Buber said that I-itting is not holy. And he said that ultimate holiness inheres in I-thou, what he called I-thou relationships, or me, like that it happens between two subjects, two humans. And some level, this entire five verses is the ultimate check on I-itting, the commodification of humans. And we were just to stop for one moment here and just realize that how frequently we slip into the I-itting of humans, the objectification, the instrumentalization of human beings, where they become a means towards an end, whatever might be my happiness, my joy, my nachas, my aliveness. So frequently, the, the infinite dignity of human being in a moment becomes, you're not driving fast enough to get me to where I need to go. You're my cab driver. You're not a human with feelings and emotions and a story and a history. And all of a sudden we're sitting with someone who is bankrupt and they come to us and they're completely vulnerable and we don't see the complex matrix of their life and what it might feel like for them now to be making coffee. But yesterday they were a rocket scientist in Russia. Or that they have, even if that isn't their reality, but they have a family. They become the thing that then is getting me my coffee. You're just another thing amongst all the other possessions that I happen to own. Owning people and relating to them as commodity is anathema to the notion of holiness in the Torah. Or at least the aspirational idea of holiness in the Torah. Looking at another human being as a means to an end is the very definition of the profane got really quiet in here and so on some level the Torah begins a conversation about slavery in the context of a partial that deals with land and giving land up meaning you don't own the land and then it moves from land which you might think I can own land, that's the basic principle of real estate, I own it and it says you don't own land and you can't own people ultimately and that reflexive desire or maybe that natural way that we relate to people is something that needs practice because believe it or not even though this morning happens to be a reading from a text that is over 3,000 years old it's remarkably relevant maybe not obvious to you but maybe to me and to others, how frequently we become that kind of owner. How frequently we slip from seeing the person before us to seeing the job that person should be fulfilling and must in order for productivity to work, for the world to keep going. So as is our custom here at Romamu, this first Aliyah is an open up. Open up. Open Aliyah. (coughs) And the invitation is open for anyone this morning who heard a word of wisdom or an insight or advice or something that touches your life at this moment where you are to take the long short walk from where you are to this bima, and to stand here with Torah this morning to receive the blessing of Torah and here I want to frame the blessing as clearly as I can all of the beautiful wisdom that we heard the tzelem, the image the golden rule all of that And on top of it, the practice of being mindful of a posture towards humans that is not an I, you, and not a holy relationship. That the practice, the blessing of being mindful of when we slip into treating others in a way that we would not want to be treated where we slip into means and not an end. To hold that up at this moment in your life, wherever you are, I'm going to be standing here for that practice. If that speaks to you this morning, and you would like to receive this blessing this morning of Izzy's reading about that situation, then I invite you to come forward for the open up for the Aliyah that is open to all and the blessing of the Torah.